Australia, welcome to the Stand Up Australia podcast, a stand up sits down with a contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to be taking off. I've got some family here and I really want to catch up with them. So, um, but I'm not going to leave you empty handed because I do have this podcast I just listened to by a guy called Julian Batchelor, who's an activist in New Zealand and he's on the Chris Smith show and he's talking about native title in New Zealand. Now, if you want to peer into the future of Australia and the voice, this is a must listen. Now, it's, it's a two-part conversation, which I've broken down into one easy to listen to. It's about 20 minutes. So, um, yeah, enjoy. Um, also, in the notes here, we do have a new RSS feed. So if you're on the old one, um, please change over by clicking the link in the show notes. This will come out on both of the podcast channels. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks, me and Robin. And until then, enjoy this. In a discussion I had recently with Alan, we spoke about the Indigenous voice to the parliament and the reaction to the concept from New Zealand. It was interesting to hear what former Kiwi politician Winston Peters had to say to Alan last year mocking the idea of being able to create a united voice from the myriad of Indigenous mobs. He said that in itself was close to an impossibility. But we also discussed where the voice takes Australia. Does it lead to a treaty and reparations? We're already seeing places that even schools being completely renamed to adopt Aboriginal names. And can we learn anything from the emerging voice of Maoris across the ditch? Well, I want to go to New Zealand again today, where calls for an Indigenous co-governance model is intensifying, so much so that some landholders are being challenged by Maori locals to share what they say once belonged to their ancestors. Julian Batchelor has been a school principal and for 25 years directed a Christian charity, travelling the world and training people. For the past decade, he's been developing an accommodation business in the beautiful Bay of Islands, but he's also leading a campaign to oppose Maori co-governance. Julian Batchelor, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. What is co-governance in New Zealand and who's really pushing it? In short, it's the elite Maori takeover of the country, and it's being pushed by elite Maori, corporate Maori, and radical Maori for the takeover of the country. That's what it is. How is the current administration in New Zealand dealing with this push? Well, the current administration is the one pushing it. And so you've got Maori inside government, inside parliament, inside the Labour Party. You've got a, a Maori caucus, which is kind of like a leadership team inside the Labour government. And our Labour government had a majority, so it's ruling alone. It doesn't need any partners, coalition partners. And so they're doing what they want and uh, they are pushing co-governance like there is no tomorrow. So what does that look like? What do they imagine they can achieve? The ultimate goal of co-governance is to have Maori being complete control of the entire country by 2040. That came out in a document called the Heipuapua Report, which is really a blueprint for the Maori takeover of New Zealand, and they're well on the way to doing it. 
Why do they think that they're entitled to that? We have a treaty that you don't have. We have something called the Treaty of Waitangi, which is a document that was signed on the 6th of February, 1840. Um, and between February and September, signatures were gathered by Maori chiefs in 1840. And they think that the treaty mandates this, allows this, and it does not, because there was a act passed in 1975, the Treaty of Waitangi Act, and out of that came the Waitangi Tribunal, and the tribunal was hijacked by activists, and they changed all the rules, and it means that the sitting members of the Waitangi Tribunal alone can interpret what the treaty actually says. Nobody else can contest what they say it says, and they say that it mandates the takeover of New Zealand, that Maori never ceded sovereignty to the British, that Maori can maintain their chieftainship. They're still chiefs. They're still leaders. They're still rulers over the land of New Zealand. And of course, this is nonsense. It's fraud. It's corruption. And so we're heading for a huge showdown in this country. And then we have the media, which has been captured through something called the $55 million Public Interest Journalism Fund. This fund was established at the end of the COVID period in New Zealand. Let's call it that. And the media was captured. And so the media is now a government-run media. And so the population is being groomed and brainwashed. And there's propaganda is everywhere to try and hide these things from the people of New Zealand. Now, we printed a little booklet explaining all this. At the beginning of this year in February, we printed 5,000. We thought, how's this going to go? Well, we've just printed 350,000. They're going out the door at about the rate of 26,000 a week. And this phenomenal traction in this country, as people are awakened to the reality of where we're headed, and people are saying they knew something was wrong, but they couldn't put their finger on it. When they read the booklet, they were suddenly horrified, and it all made sense. And so people are reading it, distributing it, and going crazy to get it out to other people. It's been amazing. Tell me, if that kind of entitlement is occurring in the higher echelons of government and also at the corporate level, no doubt it's happening down on the street uh, between neighbours, etc. Tell us about your own personal experiences of living in relative peace and friendship with Maori people and how things are starting to change. Well, I purchased a piece of land in the Bay of Islands in 2008. It was three and a half acres. It was in three lots. It was in the most beautiful piece of the Bay of Islands of New, in New Zealand, and it had a beach on both sides. And I thought, well, I'll just sell one of the little bits of land that was part of what I purchased because I wanted to get rid of a little mortgage. And within an hour of the real estate sign being put up, it was chopped down with an axe. And then uh, signs started appearing all over my my land saying, this is Maori land, not for sale. And it was a freehold title. I did a lot of due diligence about buying it. And then... Uh, we got an email from the uh, the police saying you need to call off this sale because a busload of Maori have threatened to go down to Auckland and smash up the auction rooms if it goes ahead. Then videos started appearing online saying they were fundraising to fight this uh, racist who's bought this land. They didn't even know me. And so it was like World War Three broke out. Mm-hmm. And then so between 2008, when I purchased the property in 2015, there was a beautiful two-story, 140-year-old villa on the property. And we thought, oh, my goodness, what have we gone into? Well, we might as well make the most of it. So we started restoring this villa. Then in 2015, we thought we need to raise a bit of funds, so we'll rent it out over summer. 
Three South African families rented it for Christmas New Year. They came for their dream holiday in New Zealand. Women and children, mums and dads. And New Year's Eve, two o'clock, my cell phone went off in Auckland. And through the sound of smashing glass, screaming, shouting, crying, the lady said, we're having a home invasion. 20 Maori men are doing a haka on the front lawn. And they're smashing in the windows, smashing the weatherboards, throwing huge boulders on top of the house, so big that they punctured the iron. Cars were being damaged because the boulders were rolling off the roof and onto cars below. It was chaos. So I said, through the screaming and the shouting, I'd get there as quick as I could. I was in Auckland, so it's a three-hour drive. When I got there, it was like a war zone, truly. It looked like a bomb had gone off, a big bomb. And uh, the family was completely, the families, plural, were completely traumatized. So I went down in the community and I said, what did you do that for? They said, your land is stolen. And um, I said, you just don't do that to, to women and children and people like that. You should have come and seen me. Why didn't you talk to me? No answer. They just wanted to terrorize these families. But this is just a blatant and, uh, so anyway, money and land grab, isn't it, Julian? It's a blatant money and land grab, but it was also done through heavy uh, intimidation, bullying, psychological warfare. They tried to scare us all off the land and frighten us and intimidate us and bully us. So we had to, I wrote a book. I went and researched the history of the land. And of course, it's always the victim who, who it really costs because I had to take time off work to do that. Yeah. The perpetrators of these crimes have no consequences. So I wrote a book, found out that the land was sold through the Maori Land Court in 1937 to a school teacher who was teaching in that town, that community for 17 years. And the whole community turned up in the court in Russell, which is half an hour away, the Maori land court, and it was a clean sale. So it was nothing like the Maori in Rafati in 2015 said that man, land was stolen. It was not. They just made that up. So I put that book out on, online, free. It was a flip book. And I said, you owe me $10,000. I proved you to be wrong. You caused 10 grand's worth of damage. There was dead silence. And there has always been dead silence about that, even though we know who did it, who was behind it. Police never investigated because the police and Maori are colluding in this country. Of course. And the next thing that happened is, two, yeah, they are, 2018, another Maori lady comes up the driveway, says, I want my land back. She started, we were doing up a driveway. She started picking up rocks and throwing them at me. She engaged me eventually. She started raking her fingernails down my upper arms and she drew blood in no time. And after some time, I just said, look, I, that's enough. I'm going to throw you down the driveway, which I did. We caught all the footage, got the footage on 1080 HD camera with perfect sound, took it to court. Police said we're going to charge her with assault with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. It was a serious charge. The footage was played in court. The whole gallery was aghast. They couldn't believe it. And the judge let her off. And the reason for that was that judges were being um, instructed by the Labour government to not charge Maori mm -hmm. so they could bring the Maori crime stats down and make them look good for the elections. And uh, so that was something we had to forgive and just move on. The Maori lady who did that crime came back to the community and was gloating about it, which gave a signal to everybody that there's no consequences. You can smash up Julian, smash up his house. Nothing happens. There's no consequences. It's all good. Then in 2022, just last year, Another Mar We don't hear from them between these incidents. In just last year, 2022, a married lady came up, my drive came up my driveway. She said, 
I want to have a meeting with you. She came the next day, 10 o'clock, had a bit of small talk, and she said, well, I'm just going to cut to the chase. If you don't give me, give us your land, that's the people in the community, and she was representing the whole community. She was asked that question. She said, I represent the whole community. If you don't give us your land, we're going to burn your house down. And I said, why would I give you my land? I recorded everything. I had my cell phone recording. She didn't know that. I said, why would I give you my land? She said, because we just want it. I said, it doesn't roll like that. This is 2023. This is not 1840. Anyway, gave that footage to the police, went around the police. The police came back and said, we can't charge her. Why not? Because she said, we are going to burn the house down, not I am. So the police can't charge a group. They've only oh. got to be able to charge an individual. So she got let, she got let off. Yeah. Then the straw that broke the camel's back, which is what you want to get to, is halfway through last year, I got a letter from a government department called Heritage New Zealand. It's a government department. It's run by activists, Maori activists in Wellington. Mm. And the letter said, Dear Mr. Batchelor, your land has been reclassified as Wahitapu, sacred Maori land. So it had to be you frozen. Pay the rates, but we no, it's basically, I pay the rates. They have control of the land now. I can't do anything without their permission, without Maori permission. And what that means is that um, my land is basically now worthless because it's Maori owners effectively. They don't own it legally, but effectively they do because they control everything that goes on in that land. They can wander across that land. And I said to them, how to justify this? They said, well, a sacred body was brought, dragged across your land in 17-something. And I said, you need to prove that. No answer. And then I entered into correspondence with Heritage New Zealand, this government department run by Maori activists, and some minion inside that Heritage New Zealand left some of the correspondence on the bottom of his emails between him and some of the locals in the community. And and what he said was something like this, high five. This is the guy in Wellington speaking, guy in the Heritage New Zealand speaking. He said, high five, we got the land. Shall we come up for a feed to celebrate in the Marae? And when they said that, when I saw that, I had a pencil in my hand and I just snapped in two, threw it around the room and I said, that's it, I'm mobilising. I've had enough of this. Yeah. This is tribal This is Maori takeover. This is a yeah. land grab. Yeah. This can happen to anybody. Then I found out 500 farmers in Otago had had the same thing happen to them. And I'm getting stories all over New Zealand now of this land grab done under legislation, done legally, but it's really illegal and it should never have been allowed. It's bad law. Well, it's corrupt. That's what it is. Listen, I've run out of time, uh, Julian. I want to speak with you again about this. There's lots more to cover now that we've covered the bare basics. There's a lot more to cover as, of course, there's a lot more that I could get from you about what we're going through in Australia as well, given what you're experiencing. It's just gross. Uh, Julian, thank you very much for your time. Must run, but we will speak again maybe in a week from now if I can arrange that. Absolutely. Well, last week on the show, we looked closely at what could be described as an ugly campaign in New Zealand for an Indigenous co-governance arrangement, which would give Maoris a share of power and a share of ancestral land, all based on their race. Now, to Australians, some of this sounds eerily familiar, as activists in Australia demand not just a voice to the parliament, but a treaty and reparations. Pay up. We heard from Julian Batchelor last week, who's leading the campaign to oppose Maori co-governance. 
and is witnessing significant division in the country because some Maoris are already claiming possession of prime real estate. This shift in New Zealand governance is so seismic and the transformation so telling for Australians facing similar power sharing. I thought we'd get Julian back on to tell us more, as a few of my listeners demanded. Uh, we listen. Yes, we do. Julian Batchelor, welcome back to TNT Radio. Hello. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Very, very well. For those who didn't hear your interview last week, I don't want to recap everything, but tell us why you decided to do more than just watch what was happening with plans for co-governance. Well, I had uh, I purchased a beautiful piece of land in 2008 uh, um, in the Bay of Islands of New Zealand, which is a prime area, you know, beautiful area. And between 2008, 2023, I experienced tribal rule, which is Maori trying to grab land off a European and um, I hung in there and but things got so bad I thought the whole of New Zealand needs to know about this how this is rolling and there was such corruption such bullying such intimidation such um, uh, dodgy dealings going on with the government and uh, Maori that I thought mate the country has got to know about how this is going and my my message to Australia would be Mate, you know what? You do not let this happen, even in the smallest way. There's a there's a parable about a um, a camel wanting to put its nose in the owner's tent and the and the out in the desert, and the and the and the owner says, "Okay, you can put your nose in." And the next night, the camel says, "Can I put my head in?" And the next night, then he does that. And then the next night, it's, "Can I just put the camel says, can I just put my neck in your tent?" Anyway, you can imagine what's going to happen. At the end of the parable, the, the the whole camel is in the tent, and the owner is outside. That is and what that's what this is. What's happening in your country? That's what's happened in our country. So you give them an inch, they will take a mile. And they, the strategy that has been used is just just a little. Can we have just a little tiny bit to start with? Just okay with that. And over forty years, the camels got in the tent. Hmm. So some Maoris are already taking what could be described as a very presumptuous approach to what their family is entitled to, right? Oh, I'm reading regularly now on the uh, communications between Maori that this country's theirs. They never ceded sovereignty. The whole lot belongs to them, and they're going right. to get it back. Right. Fact, and, and how far away is the current administration in New Zealand from installing a model for co-governance? Well, they're pushing through things in in Parliament. We have a Labour government that does not need a coalition partner, and so they have no handbrake. Right. And so they are shoving things through at lightning speed before they get kicked out at the next election. We just got them voting. They've just passed a, um, a, a law saying 16-year-olds can vote at local body elections. They've just got hold of all the water. All the water in New Zealand now belongs to Maori. And, of course, if they've got water, they've got hydro. And if they've got hydro, they've got electricity. Yeah. So one of the leaders of the um, inside the Labor government, a guy called Willie Jackson, shoved his fist in the air, shook his fist in the air and said, if we get the water, we get the country. Yeah. And so this has been brewing. Debbie Narua Packer and the Maori parties have got, got a clear mandate, they say, to have full control of the entire country by 2040. That came through Heipuapua, a, a secret report that was obtained through the Official Information Act. And then it all came out. Hell, this is the blueprint they're working to. And so 
it's rolling in this country and Australia has got to learn from this because if they if they let the nose of the camel in the tent it will not be long I promise you before the whole tent is occupied by the camel and the owner is on the outside so how and, far does this go do you think in your country should all Anglo Kiwis just hand over their land now and become servants to the new owners well of course not and that's why I'm fighting because there's no there's absolutely no bloody way that I'm going to let this happen and there's a lot of other owners now who are really waking up to this yeah good and saying we're going to fight yeah. we are not going to just lie down and have this happen to us this is a land grab. This is illegal. It's not even based on, it's not even mandated by the Treaty of Waitangi, which is our country's founding document. You don't have a document like that, but we do. And so I'm, my tour of New Zealand is is actually highlighting what's what's been fraudulently twisted over 40 years, this, this treaty, to supposedly mandate the takeover of the country by elite Maori. It's not all Maori. There's a lot of Maori who are actually against this because they're saying this is going to screw the country. Mm. They can see it. But these elite Maori, they're troffers. And they they're have. troffers. Just explain that to our uh, overseas uh, listeners. You're saying they've got their, their snouts in the trough and they've got their hands out for anything they can get for nothing. Well, this this is this is what it's like, right? I've I know an accounting firm in Auckland that I was talking to the guy who owns the whole firm. It's a very big firm, and one of his accountants has iwi, that's Maori um, clients, and he says when they have their meetings, they sit around the table and they say, "How can we screw some more money out of the government? How can we get more?" And they haven't even spent what the billions that they've been given, yeah. and they're planning on how to get more. And but that's what happens when you don't stand up and you say, sorry, the tap does turn off, it's not endless, and the cup is not bottomless. That's the problem. When you start to go from, hey, we've got to start sharing what we have, to let's go to the full nth degree and then discriminate against the majority as opposed to the minority, this is what happens, doesn't it? This is what happens. And Australia, man, you're on the edge of a precipice. If you go with the voice your country's never going to be the same again. It is about fundamentally about all people being treated equally, having equal opportunity, yeah. not equal outcomes, which is what they want. Yeah, I'm saying in a democracy, everybody should be treated equally and it's a level playing field yep. and everybody has got the same chance of succeeding. Exactly. Give them the same opportunities that you have. That's what we've got to do. And you and I would have a deep-seated understanding of where poverty-stricken Maoris and poverty-stricken Aboriginals should be given uh, a hand up so that they can make their own way in the world. And you and I would want them to be out of poverty, to be successful, to take opportunities. But you don't get it for free. Well, I've produced a paper, a document, on the, and I've called it the solution for Maori. And it's not about giving them more money. Fundamentally, it's about the development of character. Now, this doesn't just apply to Māori. Any person of any culture, if they do not have character, they are not going to succeed in their life. And by character, I mean a cluster of behaviours and traits that a person must have to succeed. Things like self-discipline, hard work, integrity, honesty, the ability to um, handle failure, the ability to handle success, um, and uh, the ability to forgive people, 
the the ability to um, uh, think of the other person as better than yourself, yeah, and so on. If people have this cluster, they're self disciplined. They they get up early and go to work. They work all day. Yeah. They can handle pressure. They can handle, um, you know, having no lunch but keep going. In other words, they're tough on the inside. They're big on the inside. That is what makes a person successful. Now, I tried to launch that with Maori and saying, listen, that is what Maori need. But what's happened is every culture needs character. Every person needs character to succeed. But they rejected that. And the reason they've rejected that, my suggestion, my solution for Maori, is that it involves work. It sounds too hard. It's too hard. And so... They've said no. And ironically, they've said no to the thing that could actually get them out of the poverty trap because it's not more money. You think of all the billions of dollars that have been given to Aboriginals. And has it helped? No. None. Or Maori, has it helped? No. So it just it's like a, it's like chucking water into a sieve. Yes, exactly. We do it to the tune of forty billion dollars a year in Australia. Yes, How much opposition is there within the parliament to these constitutional changes of co governance? Well it doesn't matter. Our our current opposition parties are as limp as a noodle, yeah, and um, a well cooked noodle, and they are trying to get votes. They're not opposing all this, and unfortunately, what you're going to have, people are talking in terms of isn't it going to be wonderful to get the Labor Party out and the Maori Party out and the Greens Party because there's this sort of this coalition of th- the threesome, the gruesome threesome. But you know what? They're going to replace one set of ignorant politicians for another. Mm. And we are just going to, the accelerator is going to come off. The pedal is going to come off the middle. Mm. But Chris Luxon, who's going to be the prime minister, is going to keep it all going. But to a lesser degree. And it's like cancer. I've said, mate, our country's got to go into co-governance remission. It can't keep this going. If you've got cancer, you've got to get rid of the whole lot. But Luxon says, no, we, we sort of have a limited co-governance view of this world. And I'm saying that's a suicide for this country. Because what's going to happen is this Maori Party, this Labour Party, these Greens are going to go away for three, six, maybe nine years at the most. And then they'll be back. Mm. It's just the way the election cycle works. Yeah. Now, for my listeners who are interested in what's happening in New Zealand, and I know I've had emails about them uh, about the issue, how can they find out through you or a website some of the information that you are posting? We've got a website called Stop Co Governance, all one word. dot Kiwi. Stop Co Governance. dot Kiwi. Okay, that's it. That's the website. Stop Co Governance. Stop Co Governance is all one word, all lowercase, and then ends with dot Kiwi. Okay. All right. We'll keep in touch, Julian. Thank you very much for your second instalment. We appreciate it. Good one, Chris. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Julian Batchelor on TNT Radio.